Hello, everyone, and welcome to the April 5th edition of the WorkOp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with the Floyd Scarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our crime report. An Orange County man was arrested on charges of soliciting and receiving illegal kickbacks from corrupt sober living homes in exchange for finding them new patients. This process is known as body brokering. 27-year-old Darius Jarrell Moore, who lives in Santa Ana, is charged with one count of solicitation and receipt of payment in return for referring a patient to a treatment facility. Prosecutors allege he received hundreds of thousands of dollars in kickbacks from four Orange County facilities. The kickbacks allegedly were covered up by bogus contracts for marketing services. Patient brokering has created a situation where substance abusers with no desire to stop using drugs are able to gain income from their insurance benefits by periodically participating in treatment programs. The facilities generally know patient brokers pay patients and give patients drugs, but they maintain deniability by discharging patients who admit they were paid and stopping work with particular patient brokers as soon as such actions become overtly known. In October 2020, Moore accepted a $16,000 kickback from a checking account of a corrupt sober living home. Altogether, he received more than $350,000 in illegal kickbacks from the sober living homes, allegedly in exchange for recruiting new patients. The sober living homes then submitted claims to health insurers. A recorded conversation between Moore and a sober living home employee discussing the clients Moore had placed into the facility and the cash value of the clients as part of the case. Investigators executing a search warrant at Moore's residence found marketing agreements between Moore Recovery Solutions, that's his company, and two sober living homes that agreed to pay him $70,000 per month and $10,000 per month, respectively. But they found no other evidence that Moore's company was a legitimate marketing service. Investigators also found text messages from patients to Moore asking for money and asking to be placed in treatment. In response, Moore told the patients he would only talk to them through Signal. That's an encrypted communication application. If convicted, Moore would face a statutory maximum sentence of 10 years in federal prison. A Santa Clarita Valley man pleaded guilty to perpetuating a scheme of fraudulently obtaining about $1.8 million in COVID-19 relief from the Paycheck Protection Program. 29-year-old Hassan Kanyaik, who lives in Santa Clarita, admitted that he submitted six fraudulent loan applications and other fraudulent documents for the federal programs. The applications sought funds to purportedly pay the salaries of employees whom he claimed worked for two of his businesses. He successfully obtained about $1 million through four PPP loans and another $300,000 through two other government loan programs. 
He also submitted fake federal tax filings and payroll reports. In one loan application, Kanyaik falsely claimed the business had 26 employees and an average monthly payroll of $168,000, and he submitted a fabricated IRS tax form claiming his company had paid more than $2 million in payroll in 2019. Kanyaik admitted during his plea that the company had substantially fewer employees and substantially lower payroll than he said on the applications. He further admitted that he obtained additional employer identification numbers from the IRS in April and May 2020 so that he could apply for multiple loans for the same business. He then used a substantial portion of the PP loan proceeds for his own personal benefit. He was arrested at Los Angeles International Airport just before he was about to board a flight to Dubai. At the time, he had transferred about $762,000 to Uganda, his country of citizenship, from one of the business accounts that had received the loan proceeds. He's scheduled to be sentenced on August 23, 2021. At that time, he faces a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. As part of his guilty pleas, he is required to pay about $1.3 million in restitution. A Beverly Hills pharmacist was sentenced to only six months in prison for his role in over a $200 million workers' compensation fraud. Here's what happened in the case of People versus Hutan Malamed. Malamed was indicted back in 2016. He allegedly owned and operated New Age Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, a compounding pharmacy in Beverly Hills, California. He also had business interests in several other pharmacies which supplied compound creams and other custom pharmaceuticals to patients. Prosecutors allege that it was the goal of the conspiracy to fraudulently obtain money from health care benefit programs by submitting claims for prescription pharmaceuticals and DME that were generated through a secret pattern of bribes to doctors. Melamed paid doctors to refer workers' compensation patients to pharmacies in which he had an interest for prescription pharmaceuticals. Since 2016, there have been charges and convictions against several co-conspirators in the case, including anesthesiologist Dr. Amir Friedman, another doctor, Fong H. Tron, medical marketer John Paglian, Jean Picard, and Jonathan Pena. Dr. Tron was the owner of the Coastline Medical Clinics in Southern California, and was previously a licensed physician in the state of California, but had his license suspended after his arrest and indictment in 2016. Later court records reflect that in 2020, a plea agreement was reached with the pharmacist Hutan Melamed. However, that document, as well as the pre-sentencing report, remained sealed by the federal court, and thus the terms are unavailable to the public. This month, Melamed was sentenced to six months in prison, followed by three years of supervised probation. Prior to sentencing, a document from the, quote, Pharmacy and Workers' Compensation Industry, 
end quote, was filed in the case objecting to the rumored plea agreement recommendation of only 18 months in prison. That document points out that any sentence less than seven years would be a huge travesty and mockery to the industry, as so many people in the same industry have been watching the case very closely. That letter goes on to note that this was Melamed's second felony and that he currently lives in a $12 million, 15,000 square foot mansion that he put under his mother's name to shelter the assets from his wife during a divorce and now from the court system. One would speculate that the plea agreement offered leniency in exchange for cooperation in the prosecution of many others and that would be consistent with the sealed plea agreement and the pre-sentencing report and the lenient sentence that was handed down. And now, regulatory news. A number of cases of more contagious COVID-19 variants is increasing the worrisome level. The health department in Santa Clara County said the region's progress in curbing the pandemic remains precarious. The Santa Clara residents were urged to avoid travel, quarantine if traveling, and consistently use face coverings. Santa Clara County was home to an early surge of coronavirus in California last year, and it was the nation's first death from COVID-19, so it may offer a window into the pandemic's progress across the wider United States. Several states, including Florida and Michigan, are struggling to contain a resurgence of the virus linked to new, highly contagious variants. The seven-day daily average of cases across the United States have been increasing continuously since March 19th. Over the past 13 days, the average daily number of new cases of COVID-19 has increased by 17%. The Santa Clara County Health Officer said the local data are important warning signs that it is important to continue to minimize the spread. According to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the rise in cases comes despite unprecedented efforts to vaccinate people worldwide and across the United States. Many states are moving to ease pandemic public health restrictions, and people who have been vaccinated are starting to venture out from a year of staying mostly at home. But the vast majority of the population still unvaccinated, experts warn that this could be a recipe for a deadly fourth wave of the disease. The CDC said that in California, about 5.6 million people That's 17.3% of the population had received at least one vaccine dose. As cases have leveled off in recent weeks, state officials have reopened activities like restaurant dining and are making plans to send children back to school. However, Gavin Newsom warned that with at least seven variants of the virus in circulation, the state is not close to achieving so-called herd immunity which would require the vast majority of people to be inoculated. In neighboring Canada, officials in the province of Ontario declared a limited lockdown beginning Saturday. 
and Wednesday, the French president ordered his country into its third national lockdown. The California Labor Commissioner's Office cited Perfect Point Corporation, which is doing business as South Coast Gymnastics in Irvine, a $1.3 million fine and penalty for failing to pay 28 employees properly. South Coast Gymnastics is a USA Gymnastics member club where gymnasts train to compete in national tournaments. The Labor Commissioner's investigators visited the gym in 2020 as part of a COVID-19 compliance inspection. After investigators found that the coaches and administrative staff were underpaid, an audit then identified 28 workers who were underpaid during the violation period. The Labor Commissioner's office issued citations nearly one of nearly $1,400,000 in wages and penalties against Perfect Point Corporation and its owner, Yao Ping Li, who is jointly and severally liable. The Labor Commissioner's office in 2020 launched an interdisciplinary outreach campaign called Reaching Every Californian. The campaign amplifies basic protections and builds pathways to impacted populations so that workers and employers understand legal protections and obligations and the Labor Commissioner's enforcement procedures. Business Insurance Magazine published a report on recent Out Front Ideas webinar, which was entitled COVID Claims, Development, Workers' Compensation, and Beyond. Experts and the workers' comp line of business came together to discuss the long-term medical complications that are arising from the virus and what they've seen so far in terms of COVID-19 claims. Coronavirus long haulers have been in the news for some time now with symptoms from the virus stalking them for months after they've contracted it. This in turn has had implications for workers' comp claims but what's coming down the pike for such claims is yet to be determined. A National Institute for Health Research study that followed more than 4,000 people in the United States discovered that 50% of the people were unable to work full-time six months after they tested positive for COVID. And only 8% of those people actually were hospitalized, said they were not the most severe cases. 88% of the people said that they were coping with some form of cognitive dysfunction, a difficult thing to deal with on the claims side. Studies on COVID-19 are still only in their infancy, but there's clearly some cause for concern. Respondents have highlighted issues related to hair loss, cardiomyopathies, and blood clots in the leg, among other symptoms. Healthcare workers who have been on the front lines for the entirety of the pandemic are likewise being watched closely for signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. As for workers' comp claims that have arisen out of COVID-19 already, there are challenges, particularly in identifying trends and predicting future impacts. That's partly because there is no single source for workers' compensation information in the United States. That is split across the NCCI, multiple independent bureaus, 
and monopolistic state funds. Another factor that poses a challenge to workers' comp data analysis is the existence of self-insured employers who, for the most part, do not report their data to any of the bureaus. Several top industries by employment in the U.S. are mostly self-insured and collectively represent over 30% of jobs across the top 20 industries. Additionally, a significant portion of the healthcare industry is also self-insured, and all of this data is missing from the Bureau's analysis. One of the places that does provide access to a robust set of workers' comp data is the California Workers' Compensation Institute. California as a whole has had about 13% of the infections and about 10% of the deaths in the United States. Only about 4.7% of the California working age infections had a corresponding workers' comp claim. And about 5.6% of California's working age fatalities had an accompanying workers' comp claim. The characteristics of COVID-19 claims have also evolved since the early reporting days. The healthcare industry's share of claims has slowly dropped over time. While transportation has surged due to the partial opening up of the California economy. Regional infections have been relatively stable, with Los Angeles unsurprisingly being a constant and key center of infections. Some experts compare making predictions about the future trends to trying to look into a crystal ball. The Division of Workers' Compensation have received notification that the final version of their proposed medical legal fee schedule was forwarded to the Office of the Secretary of State for filing and printing. This action represents official adoption of the new fee schedule, which has an effective date of April 1st. All medical legal evaluations that occur on or after April 1 will be subject to the new MLFS. The DWC has posted on its website the final rulemaking document filed with the Office of Administrative Law, including the final text of the new fee schedule. Any documents now sent to a physician for record review must be accompanied by a declaration under penalty of perjury that the provider of the document has complied with the provisions of Labor Code Section 4062.3 before providing the documents to the physician. The declaration must also contain an attestation to, as to the total page count of the documents provided. The DWC realizes that there are qualified medical evaluator evaluations currently scheduled for April that may not comply with the provision of the attestation requirement for medical records under the new fee schedule. It says the parties to these evaluations should communicate with each other to reach agreement on the handling of these evaluations. Senate Bill 95 Supplemental COVID Paid Sick Leave Requirement went into effect as of March 19, 2021. The new law mandates that employers provide employees with supplemental paid sick leave for COVID-related leave in addition to other paid time off obligations under existing federal state, or local statutes. The obligation to provide 
paid COVID-related sick leave is retroactive to January 1, 2021. Upon an oral or written request by an employee, the employer is obligated to reimburse an employee who took leave between January 1, 2021 and March 29, 2021 that would have otherwise qualified under SB 95. The employee qualifies for leave if the employee is subject to a quarantine or isolation period related to COVID, has been advised by a health care provider to self-quarantine due to concerns related to COVID, is attending an appointment to receive a vaccine for protection against contracting COVID, is experiencing symptoms related to a COVID vaccine that prevent the employee from being able to work or telework, is experiencing symptoms of COVID and seeking a medical diagnosis, is caring for a family member who is subject to a quarantine or isolation period related to COVID, or who has been advised to self-quarantine by a healthcare provider, and is caring for a child whose school or place of care is closed or otherwise unavailable for reasons related to COVID on their premises. Full-time qualified employees are eligible for up to 80 hours of supplemental paid sick leave. Non-full-time employees with normal weekly schedules receive the total number of hours they are normally scheduled to work over two weeks. In addition, there are posting requirements and a requirement that the leave hours be available on pay stubs or other written notices to employees received on payday. SB 95 is nuanced and specific with regard to the qualifications, exemptions, and obligations under this new law. Driven by the reopening of restaurants and the tourism industry, California unemployment has now dropped to 8.5% in February. California registered the third largest job rate decrease in February of any state but it's estimated that the 8.5% overall rate of unemployment remains well above the nationwide figure of 6.2%. Officials celebrated, calling it a milestone in what was thus far been a slow economic recovery, recovery for the nation's most populous and richest state. The state's improvement was led by the hospitality and leisure industry, which resumed offering indoor dining in some parts of the state last month, and combined at 102,000 jobs. The hospitality and leisure industry added over 100,000 jobs last month. The hiring surge was a positive sign for the hard-hit industry that is still down nearly 700,000 jobs compared to February of 2020. In total, California employers hired 141,000 new employees, nearly erasing the deficit deficit accrued in December and January under Governor Newsom's most recent lockdown order. Overall, seven of California's 11 industries added jobs, including other services, 14,100, education and health services, 13,000, manufacturing, 8,900, trade, transportation, utilities, 8,200, and professional and business services, 5,400 new jobs. 
Meanwhile, the agricultural industry added nearly 3,000 jobs, tallying gains for seven straight months. An economics professor at the University of California, San Diego, thinks that February's performance will likely be repeated or enhanced in March and April, but that's assuming COVID-19 cases continue to drop. Statewide unemployment may have sunk a half point in February, but nearly a dozen of the state's 58 counties still have double-digit unemployment. And in other industry news, despite the softening of rates and the challenges of the coronavirus pandemic, one Midwest-based workers' compensation insurance provider that opens its doors just over three years ago reports that it not only has experienced significant growth during that time, it simultaneously has managed to maintain a loss ratio that is one of the lowest in the industry. Since its launch in October 2017, Omaha National has gone from zero to $100 million of in-force premium. And it has grown from a six-person operation to one with more than 150 employees. Its president and CEO claims that brisk pace of growth is expected to continue. The company will move into a new office building this summer because it's simply run out of room to grow. Five years from now, the company expects to be well over $400 million in in-force premium. Omaha National launched as an MGA with California as its initial target market. It is now offering coverage in 14 states and will continue to expand into other states, including New York, this year. It also established Omaha National Insurance Company, which currently acts as a reinsurer for a priority of the risk that it writes. However, the CEO says the intention has always been to become a direct writer. It is now approaching the time it will be able to initiate that transition to become a carrier. A complementary division of the company is its payroll service. Omaha National's core customers are small to mid-sized companies operating in industries where employees work with their hands. Examples are landscapers, framers, electricians, plumbers, and parcel delivery services. The CEO claims the falling rates in the workers' comp line are a challenge as they are for any insurer, but the company was to prosper throughout the market cycle in hard markets and soft markets. And with that, that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports by using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Skirin, Mnookin, Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news. Thank you.